Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. All right, we are going to continue our series in the promises of God, and today we're going to be talking about faith in the promises. Our Scriptures today come from Genesis 50, verses 22 through 26, as well as Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2, and then 22. I'm going to go ahead and read those, starting with Genesis chapter 50, verses 22 through 26. Hear from God's word. Joseph and his father's family remained in Egypt. Joseph lived 110 years He saw Ephraim's sons to the third generation. The sons of Manasseh's sons, Machir, were recognized by Joseph. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. And then from Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2 say, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by it our ancestors won God's approval. And then we're going to skip down to verse 22. And it says, By faith Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. The word of God. God. Amen. The last time that we met here was March 15th. And if my math is right, which it's usually not, that was 91 days ago. 91 days ago was the first time that we had an open service here at New City. I heard a really interesting story about something that happened two days before our last service here. Our last service was March 15th. On March 13th, a man named Daniel Thorson decided to take a trip into solitude and silence in the Vermont mountains, putting away any connection he had with the outside world, no cell phone, no social media, no email, no text. He went uh, into this cabin for 75 days starting March 13th. 75 days of solitude, silence, no connection with the outside world. Then on May 23rd, he emerged uh, from the cabin and he tweeted this, I'm back from 75 days in silence, did I miss anything? And he was serious, did I miss anything? Thorson re-entered society And noticed how anxious everyone was. I'm sure he'd heard of COVID-19 before he went into solitude, uh, but didn't quite know the impact that it was going to have when he emerged 75 days later. He said one of the things that was most surprising to him was being in the grocery store and how anxious everyone was just when he would stand up next to them and grab something off the shelf. He felt like the whole grocery store was just full of anxiety. And after being uh, back in the real world just a couple of days, he said, I have missed a collective traumatic emotional 
experience that the rest of the world engaged together. A collective, traumatic, emotional experience. You know, it's great to be back together today as we regather. It's a celebration. It's a time of joy and and happiness just to be in the same room and and for me to look out and see your wonderful faces. At the same time, it's strange to be doing this against the backdrop of the coronavirus, against the backdrop of George Floyd, uh, against the backdrop of hurricane season just starting. You know, every moment there is so much to process in our world right now. It can be completely overwhelming as the next news story breaks, as the next post on social media comes. And the anxiety that those things can produce in us can be absolutely crippling. It can be absolutely crippling and lead us to this place where we are living in reactionary living, where we're just waiting for the next thing, the next story to break that causes us a sense of panic. We're waiting for the next thing to be posted that produces this sense of anger or rage in us. And as that happens, our hearts begin searching for something, for something to hold on to in the midst of all this, for something to hold on to. We are looking for hope. We're looking for comfort. We're looking for confidence somewhere. And what happens during this time is that our greatest hope can be put in human platforms or politics. Our greatest comfort can be, Lord, give us the comfort of this trial ending. And those things aren't wrong, but we can miss putting our greatest confidence in God himself. We can miss putting our greatest confidence in God and and choose to put it in something besides God. But even in this moment, even as challenging and as dark and as scary as things are right now, God wants us to place our deepest confidence in him. Right now, with everything going on, God wants us to find our greatest hope in him. He wants us to find our deepest comfort through him and to have our confidence be rested in him. God wants us to have faith in him. And when I say God, I don't mean some ambiguous God, like this God that we kind of dream up. I mean the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God who makes commitments and keeps them, the God who delights in righteousness and justice, the God who loves sinners, the God who sent his son because he loved this sinful world. That is the God of the Bible, and that is the God that we find confidence and faith in. Specifically, we find confidence in his promises. We find confidence and trust in his promises. And if you get to know the promises of God, and you begin to rely on the promises of God, it will steady your hand. It will comfort your heart. It will bring resolve to your mind, no matter what happens next. In our story, we're at the very end of Genesis. We're at the very end of Genesis. Joseph is at the ripe old age of 110, and he says it plainly, I am about to die. And Joseph has had an incredible life of both 
overcoming suffering and accomplishing things that benefited other people. Joseph, if you know the story, he was the 11th of Jacob's 12 sons, and he was his father's favorite. And at age 17, his brothers grew to hate him. They were so jealous that Jacob loved Joseph the most. So they sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He ends up in a man named Potiphar's home. And at age 17, he is so gifted as an administrator that he rises to second in command in Potiphar's house and oversees his whole household until Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him. Potiphar's wife makes a pass out of him, and Joseph, out of respect for God and respect for Potiphar, runs the other direction. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. Potiphar gets mad. Joseph ends up in jail. Joseph ends up in jail, but his gift of administration shines again while he's in prison, and he rises to be second in command in the prison, overseeing all the other prisoners. By age 28, he encounters someone from Pharaoh's court in the prison. He hears about their dream. He interprets the dream. The dream comes true. This prisoner is released and goes back to the court of Pharaoh, promised Joseph that he would free him, and he forgets about Joseph. Joseph left to rot in prison for year after year after year until at age 30, Pharaoh has a dream, and the guy who already had the dream interpreted says, I know a guy. You know, I got a plumber guy. I got a dream guy. I know a guy who can interpret dreams for you. And Joseph comes to the court of Pharaoh, and he interprets the dream and says, there is going to be seven years of plenty of food and then seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, well, that sounds good. Why don't you come and be my right-hand man, and you oversee this whole thing? Again, Joseph's gift of administration. And, and Pharaoh says, well, why don't you come in, and you oversee this, and you save us? You plan for that famine so we don't run out of food, and Egypt doesn't squander in the famine. And Joseph does. And then two years into the famine, his brothers come. His brothers have run out of food back where they lived. They come and they engage Joseph, not knowing it's Joseph, and say, Joseph, or hey, man, can you give us some food? And Joseph, through this long process, forgives them, even though they were the ones who sold him into slavery. Not only that, but he moves them to Egypt so that he can watch over them and take care of them. Joseph has become so important by age 56 that when Joseph's father, Jacob, dies, Egypt shuts down for 70 days. The whole country shuts down so that they can mourn Joseph's father's death. And after Jacob dies, the other brothers say, Joseph, please don't kill us. And Joseph says, it was never my plan to to, to kill you. What you did was meant for evil, but God meant it for good so that I could save the lives of many. What an incredible life. Joseph lived of overcoming injustice and suffering and wrongdoing. What an incredible life Joseph lived of accomplishing things that saved other people. And yet here at the end of his life, after he spent 93 of his 110 years in Egypt, here at the end of his life, it's not about the suffering, nor is it about what he's accomplished. His last words on his deathbed are about his faith in the promises of God of God. About his faith in the promises of God. Joseph says to his brothers, I am about to die, 
but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore, to the land he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to you, your aid, when God rescues you from Egypt, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph is an icon in Egypt. He is going to have a royal burial as second in command. They are more than likely going to create a shrine for him there in Egypt because he saved the whole country by his planning for the famine. But that's not what Joseph is focused on. Joseph is focused on what God has promised his forefathers, a a, a land that will be their own. And so when that happens, sons of Israel, don't leave me here in Egypt. Carry my bones to the land that God has promised. Now, it's an incredible statement because generation and generation and generation of Israel were still to come before that even happened. 400 years Israel would be enslaved in Egypt before God's promise came to expression and Moses leads them to freedom. But when they were led to freedom, the Israelites remembered what Joseph said about the promises of God, and they carried his bones to the promised land. That's, it's amazing that this is what the author of Hebrews wants us to see when, when he says we should live by faith. I mean, Joseph is an example of Christian sexual purity, but that's not what he mentions. Joseph is an example of forgiving your enemies, but that's not what he mentions. What he mentions is Joseph's certainty in the promises of God. By faith, he wanted his bones to be part of those promises. Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith. By faith. We use the term faith a lot in our culture, and we tend to say things like, you just got to have faith. You just got to have faith. God means something very, very specific when he uses the word faith. Faith is not a blind faith. It's not a general optimism that things will work out. It's not a belief in the human spirit. It's not wishful thinking. That's not what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. In other words, faith is a conviction that God will do something. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's Word. It is very specific that God will act, that God will do something. He will do what he says, even though you can currently not see it as a visual reality. And it's not just anything that God will do. It is the things that God has committed himself to do. Sometimes we can think that God has 
promise to do whatever comes out of our hearts or whatever comes out of our minds. But that's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that the things that God has committed to do, the things that he has promised, are the things in here that he has told us he will do. It is the promises of God, the very specific promises of God. David Chapman, who was a seminary professor of mine, says this, Faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. It is persistent hope in the promises of God. We need to hold on to that definition because we as Christians often get confused about faith in the promises of God. And we think that somehow God has committed to give us everything on our bucket list before we die. And God may bless us with the things that we want to do with our life, and sometimes he does not. But he never wavers on the things that he has promised to do in here. See, God's promises are not about your plans to use him. Rather, God's promises are about his plans to use you. Our faith doesn't really activate God into the plans we have for him. Rather, our faith in the promises of God activate us into the plans God has for us as his people. And so we're called to put our confidence in the promises. And that means that we actually know those promises and we build our lives around what God has said, even if we don't see it, even if it doesn't seem to be reality. We form our life on the promises of God. God has promised to forgive sins through Jesus Christ. And so by faith, we grab hold of that promise and receive salvation through the cross and resurrection of Christ. God has promised to build his church And so by faith, we invest in his church. God has promised to crush Satan's head under our feet. And so by faith, when we're attacked by Satan, we know it is not the end of the story. And by faith, we believe that one day Satan will be banished forever. God has promised that through Jesus Christ, a reign of justice and righteousness is coming. And so when we experience injustice in our world, we hold on to that promise and we correct oppression and we walk in justice ourselves. God has promised to save sinners and so we share the gospel with people who are far from God by faith. During this time of quarantine, Monica and Vaughn, who live just a street over from us, have come over almost every other day, uh, at least Monica has, and been in our front yard We've had great conversations. I mean, we've spent hours in our front yard talking with, with Monica in particular. And uh, I was out there a couple weeks ago with Monica. And um, this gentleman that she knew walked by on, a, on our street. And she knew him. And he was not filled with the Holy Spirit, but he was filled with some type of spirit, if you know what I mean. And Monica looked at him, and she knew him. And even though he was wobbling down the street, she said, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You need to give your life to him. You need to quit running from Jesus. And I'm just sitting there watching as Monica's, it, it was a little bit louder than that. She's kind of telling him, 
boldly proclaiming that Jesus loves you. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to leave your life of sin behind and you need to go to the Lord because he loves you and he will forgive you. And it was awesome to watch Monica in that moment believe the promises of God for that gentleman. That even though she saw him as he was, she also believed that God loves to save sinners. And so even in my front yard, they're yelling at this man, Jesus loves you. You need to believe in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. Our Kent Hughes says, faith grabs hold of what is hoped for as something real and substantial. As something real and substantial. It is not blind faith that we are talking about here. It is knowing what God has promised in Scripture And even if life seems to be going the opposite way, living according to the promises. I love what Joseph says. I'm about to die. You can't get any starker or darker than that. And yet even in his death, he knows that the promises of God will come true. Carry my bones. 400 years later, they did carry his bones to the promised land. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know the promises of God? Do you know the promises of God? Like, like, have you memorized them? Have you thought about them? Have you meditated on them? It's not a guilt trip. It's like if there's a wealth of money for you, have you opened the chest to look at all the things that, you, that are yours? Have you opened this to look at all the promises that God says are yours? But then secondly, have you been activated by them? Have you placed your faith in what God says and allowed him to change your life based on these things, starting with the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ? Take hold of these promises. As we're going through this series, one of my greatest fears is that the promises of God would go from here in this ear in you and then out the other without you grasping hold of it for yourself. Allow yourself to be activated by the promises of God, even even in the midst of panic, even in the midst of anxiety. And that's not something trite I'm saying. This is a very real moment. This is a very real moment that we are all going through. It's a very real moment of fear of death related to disease. It's a very real moment of fear of injustice It's a very real moment of not knowing where the country is headed. It's a very real moment of being at the beginning of hurricane season. All those things are real. But if those are the only things that are fueling your emotional life, you will live in constant panic and constant anxiety. Don't be fueled only by the latest story or the latest post on social media. You will end up with unsteady hands, you will end up with an anxious heart, and you will end up with a mind that is not resolved. Fuel your faith on the promises of God. Trillia Newbell, who is a Christian author, wrote this last week. If all you do is feed yourself news, news radio, social media, blogs, etc., you will shrivel and die. It will be a slow death. Slowly, your affections will change. Slowly, disregarding the things of God. Abide in Jesus. We can't do this without him. He is the bread of life. He is the vine. That's another way of saying, believe the promises of God. 
have the promises of God as your orientation point in the midst of all these things. Some of you are becoming more and more aware of issues of injustice in our country. Rightly so. Don't only be fueled by your own passion or your own pain in the midst of that. Don't only be fueled by your own passion or your own pain. As you engage these things, be fueled by the promises of the God who loves justice and delights in justice in the earth. This is a truth we have to wrestle with. When George Floyd was killed, God was saddened and God was angry, yet at the very same time, God was not panicked. I don't know how to resolve those things, but it's true. God is angry at injustice, and yet God is not panicked at all as he looks at the brokenness in our world. His promises have not changed. His purposes are not different. He has not changed anything about his character, nor does he plan on doing it. And it's through looking at him and looking at his promises that we can be steadied in the midst of great tragedy in our world. So know the promises of God. Be activated by the promises of God, even in the midst of panic. This is a hard truth, but that's actually what the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is about. This is about faith in the promises of God in the midst of terrible circumstances. Hebrews 11.35, other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they may gain a better resurrection. Others experience mocking and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. What the author is trying to get us to see is not just a collective traumatic emotional experience that we've had, but the collective confidence in the promises of God that these ones who have went before us had. Even in the midst of great tragedy, even in the midst of great suffering, they held on to the promises of God in the face of death. And so be bolstered by their faith. Be bolstered by the faith of Joseph who said, carry my bones. But more than any of that, let your faith be bolstered by Jesus Christ. The the ultimate encouragement to your faith isn't the death of these men and women of faith. It's the one who was resurrected from the dead and defeated death. Your ultimate encouragement for your faith is not Joseph's buried bones, but Jesus' resurrected body. The ultimate encouragement for you today is not Joseph who was dug up from a tomb after 400 years, but Jesus who defeated the tomb in three days. It's not just that Joseph went from a throne to a grave, but Jesus came out of a grave and ascended to a throne at the right hand of God, defeating death and promising to return and make all things new. Joseph's bones were carried to the promised land. Joshua 24 tells us that. But Revelation 21 tells us that Jesus will bring the promised land of heaven to us one day when he returns. See, all of the promises of God are yes 
and amen in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And by looking at him, you will have your strength, your comfort, your confidence as you believe the promises of God, even in the midst of great suffering and trials. One of my favorite Christian figures from history was a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived during the Nazi regime in Germany during World War II. He was a staunch opposer to the Nazis, planning even for uh, the defeat of Hitler. And when his plan was found out, he was arrested, he was imprisoned, and he was sentenced to execution. In one sense, it's a great tragedy because his execution just happened three weeks before Hitler took his own life. And you're like, oh. But in the midst of his courage, we, we find the source of that courage in his last words. As Bonhoeffer was going to be executed, this is what he said. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. What would normally be the end for me as a human being is the beginning of my eternal life with Jesus because of the promises of God. Moments before his death, his hand is steady, his heart is comforted, his mind is resolved, not because he's strong, but because he relies on the promises of God. And by faith in the promises of God, whatever comes next, your hand will be steadied, your heart will be comforted, and your mind resolved. Let's believe those promises together. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you as the one risen from the dead. Lord, search our hearts to find the places that we doubt, the places that we doubt your promises. Help us to rely more fully on everything that you have committed to do. Lord, we pray uh, for, we, we pray and long for the renewal of all things when Christ returns. But we ask that you would help us to be agents of that renewal in our city and in our country, even now, as we wait for him. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. We will take another step today by faith. Be with us through the journey. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.